0: The
1: You can't. Thanks, Rick. Merry Christmas. Would you join me in the chorus It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas? Goodness. I was up at four this morning, and there was nothing. And then somebody unleashed. Somebody's praying in here for snow. Who was it? You people. What's wrong with you? Do not combine your forces. We'll be in trouble. As I was listening to Kat sing, I was reminded, and this whole Christmas season and the birth of Jesus, I was just reminded that several years back I went to visit a mom and a dad, and they had just had she had just given birth, and so I was headed to the hospital to go see them. And she had been in very intense labor the whole night before. And And so she had quite a bit of trauma, not to mention just when a child is born, obviously, there's this trauma of leaving one world and being thrust into another world. In fact, we sang the song, Way in a Manger, there's that line in there that always somewhat bothers me, no crying he makes. I'm thinking, not in any baby I know. And so I walked into the hospital room, and mom, it was about mid-morning, and she had been in labor all night long, but there she was seated in this chair holding her newborn. Both were awake and there was just this wonderful bonding moment and I looked around and there was dad in the hospital bed sound asleep. (laughs) So I I quietly walked over and she looked up and she went, shh, and she kind of went like this toward her husband and said, he's had a hard night. Although I was present at all three births in our family, I was with Pam when she gave birth to our three kids, so I was with her through that whole process. And, and you need to understand that our kids were born in the 80s, and during that time, season of life, it was a big deal to go through childbirth without medication. So I went with her through all three of those without medication, and by the time I was done with the third one, I wanted medication. And so she tried to explain to me what that, must, that what that feels like and and it's, she's described all sorts of things everything, and it's ranged from something about a bowling ball and a straw <laughs> to take your upper lip and stretch it over the back of your head. So we've been spending time talking these last two weeks about how this birth affected Mary, how this birth, birth affected Joseph, but we really haven't talked a lot about how this birth affected the baby. So I want to do that this morning, and, and in some ways what we just heard Kat sing describes that. that. That song comes from actually a poem from the 1800s. It was written by a French man named Placide Capiot, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correct, but good enough. He is a wine merchant and a, a poet, and the parish priest asked him to write a poem for Christmas. And so from that poem, we now have O Holy Night. And so I wanted you to see part of it. It's on your notes that you find in your service folder. And this is the English translation of what he wrote in French. And it goes like this. And it was entitled uh, Midnight Christians. Midnight Christians, it is the solemn hour when God descended to us to erase the stain of original sin and to end the wrath of His Father. The entire world thrills with hope on this night that gives it a Savior. People, kneel down. Wait for your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. So, what did it take for God to leave his place, to leave his world and be thrust into another world? What kind of trauma did he experience? Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, those Gospels, in the beginning of those Gospels, tell us what it was like from our side of the universe. This morning, I want to take you on the other side of the universe, and I want you to see from God's perspective what transpired. And the first thing we'll discover is this, that Jesus would lay down His rights. So what was Jesus like before we saw Him with flesh? before He showed up and walked with us and played with us and and we could hold Him and touch Him and and eat with Him, what was He like? Paul, writing to his friends in Philippi, describes what Jesus was like before His incarnation, this pre-incarnate state. And here's what he writes in Philippians 2, verse 6. "'Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing.'" Being in the very nature God, literally translated means this, existing in the form of God, which means this, that his his outward manifestation corresponded to his essence. He was God, so he looked like God. He acted like God. The things he did were godly. He was respected as God, and he had all the rights that a God would have, that God would have. But there was this essence in him that would drive him and and create in him this desire to divest himself of part of who he was. There was this sense that, that he needed to, to although he, cons- he had this, this manner of existence, he did not consider this manner of existence something to be held on to, to be grasped. The way that he was living, the way that he was, the way that you would see him, he did not consider it something that he would hold on to, but he would let it go. He would lay it down. Literally, the wording there means that He would empty Himself of His manner of existence, not His divinity, because God cannot cease being God, but His manner of existence would change. He would empty Himself. He would divest Himself not of His divinity, but of His manner of existence. I've shared with you, and, and, and you're pretty familiar with if you come to, to this gathering a lot, to this, this community of faith... I do have an uncle who was a general in the Air Force. He's retired now. He was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And one of the great things when he came back and was promoted to general was hanging out with him when he was a general. And so we invited him to a, a big gathering of, of people for him to speak and tell his story about being a prisoner of war in Vietnam. So he showed up to the gathering place, and there were a lot of military that were invited to participate in the program. And so it was amazing when he walked in in his full-dress uniform as a general with all his medals on immediately they snapped too. Immediately they saluted. Immediately there was this respect that was so incredibly obvious when he walked in the room because he's a general. He's actually a war hero. He's a Korean war ace. There was this respect because he's a general. Pam and I had a chance to, to be with him when he was actually general of Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma and And so we got to be on base with him, and it was just amazing to watch because he would walk across the street, and all traffic would stop because here comes the general, and everything would just stop. We'd go to the officer's mess, and he didn't have to wait for a table. They had his table. They didn't give him a menu. They said, what would you like? How would you like it? And how fast would you like it here? It was so great being with him because I would say, I would like it, and I'd like it now, because I'm with the general. It was a really cool thing. And so there was just this respect. Following the time he was with us speaking and and at that gathering, we were going to go out to eat, and and he decided that he didn't want to go in his full military uniform, uniform, so he divested himself of his uniform. And we went to dinner. Now, when we crossed the parking lot, nobody stopped their car. He's a general. They didn't know that. When we walked in, there was not a table waiting. We had to wait. But he's a general. They didn't know that. When we sat down to eat, they gave us a menu and said, you have to eat off this menu. He's a general, but they didn't know that. And he had to, He had some options of how he wanted to steak, cooked what he wanted done, but he could not go off what was ordinary, even though he's a general, but they didn't know that. And he couldn't have it right away. In fact, they got it to him late so he only could eat half of it because we had to get to the airport to get him on an airplane. He was a general. They didn't know that. And when we got to the airplane, they didn't know who they had going on the plane. This is a guy who's a fighter pilot. This guy is a war ace. And they put him in economy with the rest of us. And there he was, this general, but they didn't know that. He divested himself of his uniform, and he walked into our world and he received no special rights. When you look at this manger scene and the one at your home, when you see the baby in the manger, take a good look because that's God without any special rights. When God decided to come and hang with us, he didn't pack heavy. In fact, he unpacked. Before he showed up here, he unpacked his rights. And you find it interesting that the one who divested himself of his rights came to, to a group of people, this one who said equality with God was nothing to be held onto or grasped, came to us, who so desire to be God that that we who want so much control are visited by the one who let go of his control? We who want our rights, he gave up his rights, divested himself of those rights. You know, we're followers of Jesus, and we're doing our best to unpack our rights because he said you got two rights. These are the only two rights you have as followers of Jesus. How many of you are followers of Jesus here? How many? Okay, I'm telling you right now, you have two rights and two rights alone. First right is to golf every Saturday. No, that's not it. Two rights. The first is this, to love God with your whole heart. Your second right is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. No other rights. That's all you got. And so we're trying to learn how to do that, and we're trying to unpack everything else we think we have rights. And, and, and I think I've got that done until someone starts a rumor about me, and I want to stand up and say, no, I've got my rights. I, 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 I think I've got that emptied until that person in, in front of me is going so stinking slow because they're on their cell phone. And, and I want to stop them and just tell them how it is, or at least get their number and call them. Because I've got my rights. When someone insults me, I want to, I want to hit back. I want to say something back. I want, to, I want to defend myself because I have my rights. And here comes this one who was God. See, do you, do you notice that when Jesus was physically or verbally abused, he never said a word? You know Why? He unpacked before he got here. And he let go of his rights, so there were no rights to be offended. So when you when you see this, when, when you see this manger, I want you to change the image in your head. Because we, we romanticize the manger, it's a feeding trough. But we have made it sacred. But I want you to change it from a feeding trough to understand what that was. When he arrived here, that really was an altar. Because the altar is where you go to lay it down, where you go to sacrifice it. And on that altar, he sacrificed his rights and came as this child. But he's God, but nobody knew that. And he did that for us. See, Jesus would not only lay down his rights, he would also lay down his possessions. I'm afraid of heights. Anybody else here afraid of heights? It just just drives me crazy. So I came across this this YouTube video of these guys who climb transmission towers and change the lights at the top. They're nuts. And I want to show you one here in just a moment. of a couple of guys climbing a transmission tower that's 1,768 feet high. That's higher than the antennas on the Sears Tower. And so I want, I want, want you to see this and, and, and see if you agree with me that these men are crazy. Just take a look at this. That object with the black top is the lighting beacon. And that's how you climb to the top of a transmission tower. Hang on, I've got to calm myself down. Just crazy. Now, did you see any? Did you see either one of those guys carrying a Barker lounger with them? Did you see anybody carrying their ski gear with them? Did you see anybody carrying gold bars or a, a sixty-inch HTD TV? You, did you see that? No. In fact, if you if you saw it, there was this, this little bag hanging down. They only packed what was needed for their assignment. When you look at that manger understand that it is God reminding us that we only need to pack what we need for the assignment that we have. And so Paul tells us about that in Philippians, the second chapter, seventh verse, he says, Then taking the very nature of a servant, Jesus, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That word humbled actually means to, to... Bring low, to cast down, to lay it down. I want to propose to you that to reach God's height, that we have to let go of everything. We have to lay everything down. We have to, we have to bring low everything that is not needed for the journey, that is not needed for our assignment. And what was Jesus' assignment? It's an incredible assignment, and, and, and you need to understand to the extent that He went to do this. To what extent do we have to lay down? What extent do we have to, to, to cast it down? Do you know how many galaxies there are in this universe? Nobody knows. But I want to show you just a sliver of a picture. Uh, let's put it up on the screen. Here's a picture. That is the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. Just in that one picture alone, there are 10,000 galaxies. And you understand that our Creator, Jesus Christ breathed those into existence, those galaxies that he spoke and each star of each galaxy was put in its proper place and in its orbit. And you see, if you create it, you get to name it. And so he names every single star. It's those stars, the Scripture says, that sang while he made our home, this earth. They sang. And he calls them each by name. He owns all of those. Yet while he was here on this earth, listen to what he told his followers, recorded by Matthew. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He gave it all up because it wasn't needed in his assignment. The Apostle Paul would later write these words in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. You are familiar with the generosity of our Master, Jesus Christ. Rich as He was, He gave it all away for us. In one stroke, He became poor, and we became rich. Jesus gave that away for us. Jesus casts down. He lets go of all that He had to only possess what was needed for His assignment. And His assignment was this. We read it earlier, that he was to take on the form of a servant. Now, that word take on doesn't mean that he exchanged his divinity for humanity, exchanged his divinity for a servant. It actually means to add on. So what he did is he divested himself of his manner of living so that he would now take the manner of a servant living and place it on himself for temporary usage. And you ought to understand, what does a servant own? A servant only owns what his master provides, and so he doesn't really even own it. He only has what his master gives him to use. That's why so often, and then you'll read it, they said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm only doing what my father has told me to do. I'm only saying what my father has said for me to do because I can only do what he resources me to do. Therefore, I can only do these things because that's what my father has given me because I am a servant. And so I will do those things. And so, in what form did he come as a servant? How did we recognize that he was a servant? Well, the scripture told us, we read earlier, that being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of as a man, that word found means that those on earth that looked at him said, Phew, It's a baby. Hey, he's a kid playing with his, his friends. He's just a man. He's a carpenter. They'd say, Isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that Mary's kid? In fact, Isaiah the prophet would say that when he showed up, he had no appearance about him that would attract us to him. Literally, he wasn't very good looking. So nobody said, "Ooh, what a guy!" Nobody found this, this charism- charismatic personality in him that said, "Ooh, he's handsome. He's great. He's got to be a king." You look at him and go, "Hey, the guy's you know he's a Sears repairman. That's good stuff. That's what he does." That's all they saw. Because he came to serve. You say, but why, why were they attracted to him? Because understand that in that, in that body, there was this incredible connection of humanity and divinity in one place, fully God and fully man. And God said, here, I'm going to give you stuff that I want you to use. I'm going to pour out to you these these abilities, these things. And Jesus then shared what God gave him. So when he multiplied the bread, he did that because God said, here, you got that. And Jesus said, let me share it. Let me share it. When he turned water into wine, he, God gave him that ability. He said, here, let me share that with the, with the wedding. And it's amazing to me that Jesus' first miracle wasn't some dynamic thing to change the world. It was to help some people out who didn't have enough wine for a wedding. But he said, here, let, let me help. When, when he healed the leper, because, because he had that ability. He said, let me share this, this power. He had this, this virtue, he said, because there was this woman that had been hemorrhaging for years, and she touched the hem of his garment, feeling that if she could just touch him, that he'd be healed. And he said, oh, virtue's gone out of me. Where God gave him that, and he shared it. Later, Jesus would turn to his followers, and it would be to us too. Now, what I've done, you do. What's that? Divest yourself of your rights. Peel them off. Take the form of a servant and put it on. Only keep what you need for your assignment and don't crave anything more And what the Father does give you. You share it. You give it out. See, that's what we've conspired to do. Worship fully. Spend less. Give more. Love all. So, we have said that we as a congregation want to collect our expression of love. We want to be just like that. And so on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in those services, we're going to gather together and we're going to collect our love expression, our resources, and be just that way and say, we don't need all this stuff, but we know some people who do. And on that day, we're going to save some lives in South Sudan, the newest nation of the world. Here's what we're going to do.
0: We are free. We feel now that we are human beings in our own land that God has given to us, and we, 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 we are free people. This
2: is really uh, the beginning of a new country from zero, really from nothing. I had the privilege of meeting the former ambassador from Sudan, and we met and he talked to me about the need for this neonatal intensive care unit, how desperate it is. This was confirmed by the Ministry of Health when I met with the officials there. They, they said, this is the greatest need that we have. we have. They're all great needs, but I asked them, would you rather have something else? And they said, no, a neonatal unit would be tremendous for us in this season of time. The ambassador added when we were speaking together that if this could happen, this would not only bring all of the medical help that would be needed for this unit and allow for babies to live and mommies to live, but he said this would actually demonstrate to the entire nation that as a nation we're moving forward to take our place in the family of nations. So it holds great potential in both the, 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 the literal saving of lives and in the forwarding of a, of a life of an entire nation. We're very excited about the opportunity. Unfortunately, South Sudan is among the worst when it comes to both mother and infant morbidity. Only 30% of the nation's population have some access to very basic healthcare. The Juba Teaching Hospital in the capital of South Sudan is in desperate need of a neonatal intensive care unit. Only three neonatal beds currently exist in all of South Sudan, and we have the opportunity of bringing a neonatal unit that will save lives $60,000 will actually bring a complete unit, central station, training, a year of consumables, uh, warranty for a year, all the things that it will take to get this unit up and running. And and this is something that, that the hospital is anxious to receive. When asked what the kingdom of God was like, Jesus said, it's like a seed which a man took and planted. And it grew and it became one of the largest trees in the garden so that the birds of the air could come and perch themselves in its branches. We have a marvelous opportunity to plant a seed that will grow and provide a place for people to come and and find care and help in its branches. South Sudan, the newest nation on planet Earth, the 54th on the continent of Africa, and the need there is tremendous. Everything is needed, truthfully. After decades of civil war, peace has come, but in the absence of war, we need to build a lasting peace and a culture and a structure for life that will allow a nation to grow forward. We can plant the seed of a neonatal intensive care unit in the teaching hospital in the capital of the South. Juba, and this seed will grow and not only will it save lives not only will it allow the medical personnel to do the work they're trained to do it'll actually keep wonderfully trained people in the country because these skilled technicians will have the tools they need to do the work that God has put in their heart to do, saving lives training future classes of medical students the connection with South Sudan and this time is so poignant and it's my hope and prayer that we'll be able to rise to this opportunity and plant this seed so the kingdom of God can come near.
1: It's not very often that you get an opportunity to profoundly impact a nation of the world. But we have that chance, that opportunity. I'm going to invite you to join with Pam and me as we're preparing ourselves in this next week, to come to one of our two Christmas services. And we're going to invite you to come to one of those, either Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock or Christmas morning at 10. Become prepared because we're going to take an offering in those in those gatherings so that we can help establish this NICU unit in South Sudan and save mothers and save babies. And so I'm going to encourage you to prepare yourself to do that because, you see, understand that, that God has always been in... The saving life business, that's what He does. Mark ten forty-five says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. God's plan included not only God coming and hanging out with us, but God hanging for us. Because you see, when you look at that manger, we need to also understand this, that Jesus would lay down His life. Here's the consummate letting go that the only thing that Jesus brought with him was him. His presence was his present. And that gift from God would require the life of Jesus in the most horrific death, the one that was so disgraceful that the Romans would not allow their own citizens to die on a cross. And the Jews said anybody who died on a cross was there because it was a curse from God. And yet Paul tells us this as we continue the reading in Philippians 2.8. And Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, if this manger is an altar, then I want you to go, go even further to a, to a more profound altar because as Jesus is hanging on that cross, as the sin of the world is being placed on Him, as His blood is dripping from His body... Would you understand that as he's declaring it is finished, this task, this assignment that I've had is done, what I've come to do, I've I've done this thing, understand that there, not far from him, in the holy temple, the high priest has entered in with the blood of a perfect lamb back into the holy of holies at the seat of mercy where only the high priest can go, there where God's presence resides, and he sprinkles the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat and doing so pays for the sins of a nation for another year that the punishment that is due us for our sins as a nation was satisfied at that moment. And when Jesus said it is finished, he said it is my blood now, not an animal that has gone to the mercy seat of God and it has been sprinkled there not for a year but forever and ever. And that punishment due you has now been satisfied. The author of the book of Hebrews then confirms that fact by saying, with His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, He entered the most holy place once for all and secured our redemption forever. Do you remember I said earlier that, that I proposed to you that to go to God's heights, to arrive there, we have got to let go of everything we don't need for the task? Jesus did need His life, so He shared it with us. And that has brought us our redemption. Without descending, without this dissension, without letting go that he did, there would be no exaltation, there would be no restoration. And for us who follow him, it is the same for us, we must let go. And when that happens, it frees God up to give to us blessings beyond anything we can imagine, for this is what he did for Jesus Paul goes on to say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus gave up the most, and therefore he was given the most. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas. Do you understand what that means? Christ's Mass. That's where the word came from. Christ's Mass. What is a Mass? A Mass is where we gather for the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is a declaration that He lived, He died, and He rose again so that we could find our redemption, so that we could find ourselves healed and whole. That when we gather, we declare this is His body, and and this is His blood, and this is what He did, and He rose again, and this is the incredible thing that He has done for us, Christ Mass. He came as a child, and He died as a man and as our Savior. And when we do this Eucharist, when we do the Christ Mass, we're saying... And we then, therefore, commit ourselves to follow him in the same manner. See, when you say you're celebrating Christmas, you're celebrating Christ's mass, you are saying, look what he's done, and I give him thanks for that, and I will follow him in the same manner. So before Paul told us that who, being in the very nature of God, created who being nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but took the form of a servant, and he, he explained all that, and we've gone through that just before he said that. Here is the headline above it. Paul writes in the fifth verse, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You must think in the same manner that he has thought and live that out in your life. Daily, keep thinking of Him. When you see that baby, as you as you, as you you gather at your Christmas celebrations, remember that the life He lived is a life that we now say we will live. Let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus so that He's invited us to join this journey, that we will lay down our life, that anything that's keeping us from obedience to, to, to Jesus, we just let it go. We say, here, we're going to lay down our life and let you take care of us just as He did that we're going to lay down our possessions and say, we will not keep gathering and gathering and gathering because it's not going to bring us any joy. We're going to let that stuff go so that we can give to others and that we will lay down our rights so that we can put on ourselves the role of a servant because that's the gift that he gave us and that's the gift that we give to each other and that is the gift that keeps on giving And so this morning, as we're wrapping up our time, I want you to to just join in spirit with this band this morning as they help us now give our response back to the Word of God this morning.
0: Lay down your weapons, lay down your violence. And your worldly obsession Love will ask of you More than treasure When you're willing to trust Blessing far outweighs the loss When you lay it all You lay it all On the altar of The holiest room the awesome.
1: wise men said, yee <laughs> So there it is. That's what Jesus did for you. He laid it all down. And if you haven't grasped that yet and said, I-, I want to connect to that, then the scripture says, if you just say to Jesus, I want to have that life you promised by the giving of yours, then before you leave here today, just even at this moment, say, I want to join that journey. I want to go that way. If you have more questions about that, stop by our information desk in the lobby and say, Just Pastor Jack was talking into the service and he said he had a gift for me to help me on that journey of following Jesus. And stop by there, they'll give that to you. And if you have questions, just ask any of us, stop and talk to an usher, uh, come see one of the pastors, whatever, or you come by the church office, we'd be glad to talk to you about this journey. And for we here who are followers of Jesus, then my encouragement to you now, especially in this season, Is it if this one who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, then shouldn't we? So let's empty ourselves of drive for possessions. Let's empty ourselves of our selfishness and instead respond as he did by giving all we can. Let's divest ourselves of of our selfishness and our rights. And let's just find ways to love God and love each other because that is fully worshiping. And in doing so, we will truly celebrate Christ's Mass this season. So would you stand, please? Now to him who is able to keep us from falling, to him who spreads his grace upon us in measure that cannot be contained, To him whose forgiveness comes to us at the very moment we ask. To him we give praise and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Drive careful.